Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Imprint Companion, the only podcast on the Australian interwebs that is stoking the flame, nurturing this torch of DVD culture straight (laughs) from these mics into your ears. I am one half of this show, Blake Howard. The other half, the beautiful Greek god himself, is my dear friend, Alexi Toliopoulos. Alexi, welcome back to our discussions of all things physical for the beautiful Blu-ray label in print films. I am certainly feeling that warmth of the golden flame of physical media today as we discuss something that is always exciting, tantalizing, and quite often impressive. We're talking about a freaking boxed set today on the podcast. Us physical media nerds absolutely adore the concept of a box set. Multiple films, one package, something comprehensive is afoot. (laughs) And what us film nerds love even more is when there can be two, where there can be exciting slipcases. There can also be exciting Mm -hmm. inserts. Some that have double titles and two movie covers on each side and you have to open it up removing the disc to see what special features are in hand and this is a beautiful and exciting buffet that we have in front of us today absolutely yes we are talking about silver screams cinema this is a box set of some b-movie horror films from the 1940s uh this is a new box set from imprint and one thing that you've already hit on we're talking about the actual physical package it comes in those beautiful via vision imprint hard boxes with that little pop off Mm. lid and all the discs are safely held inside your plastic slip covers as well and then what you hit on that i really really like about this you get so many box sets where there's multiple films but only one case and then the case itself is a decider of like which film are you displaying with the case because it's like a reversible sleeve situation where you're displaying one film and then the inside of the case is the other film and you can flip the, the sleeve around which way do you want it I like that this has got on one side it's got the both like if you pull the whole paper sheet out you got that A4 piece or whatever now I'm going into <laughs> I love it I love it I love describing it. something you get the A4 sheet out whatever it is and then on one side it's got the two front cover posters and then on the inside you've got those blurbs and I like that you don't have to make the decision which one is on display it's very elegantly done and it surprises me I've never seen this shit before because it seems like such a no-brainer I'm just going to say the same thing I had never seen it until this box and it's so smart a great uh, spine design of the double with the Mm -hmm. imprint spine number and then flip either side is just movie poster so it's all killer no filler and and it's just such a great decision we have six films made between 1944 and 1957 to cover today alexi and i have split this box set for you we're going to talk about them they come in three sets of double films so i'm going to talk about disc one which covers the phantom speaks and the Vampire's Ghost, which is imprint spine number 54. Phantom Speaks comes out, uh, came out in 1945. And The Vampire's Ghost, also another 1945 movie. We'll cover those momentarily. We then dump into disc number two, which Alexi is going to cover Return of the Ape Man and Valley of the Zombies. 
Return of the Ape Man, 1944. Valley of the Zombies, 1946. And then we jump a little farther ahead in time for disc number three, which is She-Devil and the Unknown Terror. She-Devil and the Unknown Terror, both made in 1957. So let's dive into The Phantom Speaks. If you've never seen this bad boy, it is at the time, it's at the end of World War II, there is this, I I, want to call it like a psychic flux where where Mm. America particularly, definitely Europe, um, uh, 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 but America particularly and Europe were facing this existential quandary, which was like, we've just, you know, Europe is destroyed what is the world going to be? And while this time was about to be booming in America and it was a sort of like this, you know, uh, American industrial complex in full swing and, and all this post-war prosperity, people started to like think of like, uh, you, this is a time you see religions emerge. This is a time where you see like The mm. Master, Paul Thomas Anderson's film about the emergence of Scientology was set. And so The Phantom Speaks is about... This psychotherapist who thinks he can communicate with the dead, and there's this creepy killer who uh, murders uh, murders uh, uh, like someone to get back at them for you know for, uh, some form of reprisal, and he gets sentenced to death in the electric chair. And this physician says to him, "Look, you've got the strongest will I've ever seen in my life. If you can maybe maintain your spirit, you can stay in our realm while your body dies." And so, the Phantom Speaks mm. is about this spirit that comes back, possesses this doctor because he's kind of given him the tools on how to possess people and brings him back to life. And he starts to kind of exact even more vengeance uh, beyond that. And uh, it is, it's kind of a weird and wonderful like uh, possession movie, but the stakes are not like devils and the stakes are Mm. not, these crazy large things, what they are are these kind of quaint and cute, like weird, uh, you know, I've got to exact vengeance because there was a witness in my case and I'm going to kill them. And who knows if there's anything bigger. And it's this kind of like time where, you know, and, and for, for anyone who's listening, like the, the, the Phantom Speaks goes for basically just over an hour. Like it's a really brisk running time. It feels like a, you know, a more like a Twilight Zone episode. Um, and so, mm. yeah, it was a really kind of fun and weird, almost like let's see how close we can get noir to horror and a body possession mm. horror and, and in with all old-timey effects. And so it was kind of cute and weird. And that was my experience of The Phantom Speaks. Far out. That sounds kind of cool. Almost, can I say, the your description of the plot of like these mixed stakes, like supernatural mixing in, it almost sounds like, reminds me of like what I would hope a Coen Brothers movie could one day be with a little bit of a supernatural element and a little bit of like a low stakes crime noir plot. I'm like, that sounds, this one sounds right up my alley. Yeah, I think you might get a lot out of this because of like that complete blend of genres that maybe doesn't work. So you can see that it like might not have fully been fleshed out, might not have completely worked. And I think the short running time helps with the concept not quite coming off, but mm. definitely a good one to kick off this box set. The next one, though, 
is is one that I really want to talk about, and it is the second film on this. It's called The Vampire's Ghost. stars John Abbott, Charles Gordon, Peggy Stewart. It's made in 1945. And we like to think of this contemporary thing of like vampires walking around in the daylight, you know, they're totally fine or playing around with the rules of the Dracula vampire is a very contemporary thing. We are completely wrong. This 1945 movie basically posits, imagine you've got this guy um, uh, uh, who is... I, I want to say he's like a Rick from Casablanca type running a bar mm. in some weird oh. African country. and Oh, man. And he is a vampire. And so what happens is the tribal folk in this fake African, uh, fake African country called Bakunda, sounds a little bit like Wakanda, but it's Bakunda. Okay. They start to start to drum their tribal drums and do all these tribal dances because they can feel that this evil presence has descended upon Bukunda. And in fact, it's this guy who's kind of got like a Dracula-like charm and really kind of finds the degenerates in the bar in this local town in this sort of post-war period um, and uses them to kill them. And he starts, you know, he starts turning people into vampires. He himself is a vampire. And... It's actually kind of rad. <laughs> I really liked Ooh. this movie. It was so it was so quaint and cute, um, very specific, and it basically the only thing that it stuck to in the vampire mythology is this idea of like crosses and silvers. But this was a guy who could totally and completely blend into society, and so mm. it was this really cool thing. I had a few other little touches that I won't spoil, but man, it was a funny little thing. And the real cute factoid about the vampire's ghost is. That there was actually a company, and it ran from 1935 to 1967. They talk about it in the commentary track on the film, which um, is called Republic Pictures. Now, Republic Pictures made huge movies with people mm. like John Wayne and Gene Autry and Roy Rogers. They even did a Macbeth. Oh, wow. They even did a Macbeth film um, directed by Orson Welles um, in 1948. Oh, so I love that version of Macbeth. Yeah, it is a great one, right? So they actually were kind of a prestige movie house and this in this time was one of their rare dalliances with horror and then they just threw it off the slate and so that became a really fascinating part of the commentary track for me and actually kind of made uh, the entire thing worthwhile the commentary track is uh, Tom Weaver and Gary Rhodes it kicks off with Tom Weaver and moves into Gary Rhodes later on in the bit but um, the Republic Pictures connection was so cool because then I just found myself diving down a Republic Pictures rabbit hole so um, wow. Out of this disc, Vampire's Ghost for me, uh, because you know, as a cinephile, that that like hyperlink uh, essential mm. thing that happens when you're a cinephile and going down the rabbit hole uh, really was like top notch for the Vampire's Ghost. And I think there is something in that that I'm fascinated by and very much drawn to in, and maybe it's because of like an Indiana Jones factor yes. of um, these ideas of like exoticism in like 1940s and 1930s, uh, B-movies, fantasy films, horror films, science fiction films. There's this idea of exoticism of like going to these lands in the far off East or like far off into Europe, like these mystical lands that don't exist. Um, that I just find really 
now, like you know, obviously there's a problematic, there's problematic things, I- I- it's, issues it's, in those it's, as it's well. It's going to be as culturally insensitive as its time permits, and I think you have to kind of, yes. you can't. It, it it is fair to object, be objective and judge it according to our eyes, but I don't think you're ever going to find anything that is worthwhile if you're so harsh that you can't mm. even allow a representation that is outdated to happen. I I just think that, you know, some of the best. Uh, the best things to learn from are those things that are so c- completely outdated and wrong by a contemporary standard. Mm. So, uh, uh, and, yeah. yeah. And it's one of those things as well, like, because I love fantasy so much. Like, I love, like, big fantasy movies mm. so much. Like, going back and seeing what uh, in the 1940s people considered to be a fantastical realm is so different to the way that we see it now. And I think there's part of that idea of exoticism that I will always be drawn to when we look at these old movies. Yes. Uh, because it is like production design. It is all these things of trying to embrace these things to create something beyond the understanding that we currently have. Yes. And it's so it's so quaint to go back and see how they would do it back then, especially in like a little in a little bundle of films that we're discussing today, where they are quite small and low budgeted, yeah. if you will. Yeah, definitely. Uh, no, no super special effects and mirror tricks in the Vampire's Ghost. I um, mean, the Phantom speaks some uh, some some beautiful uh, 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 fade outs and uh, superimpositions and things like that, but uh, nothing nothing too crazy. I love the I love the low five at all. I think there's just such a, a cuteness to it. But let's dive to disc number two, imprint spine number fifty-five, my friend. Let's go to some Bella Lugosi and some uh, and some Return of the Ape Man. When we got assigned this box set, this was the one that I called out first because (laughs) I absolutely love movies about prehistoric man and cavemen and seeing Return of the Ape Man as a title. I'm like, okay, this is hitting on something (laughs) for me. And this stars two absolute legends Mm. of the silver screen. In particular, the silver scream. We've got Bella Lugosi as Professor Dexter and none other than John Carradine as Professor Gilmore. So we've got two icons in there in these leading roles. And this is basically when a kind of mad scientist experiment they bring back to life the frozen body of a prehistoric ape man that they discover on an expedition. But you don't really see much of the expedition. This is one of those kind of movies where there's a lot of um, shots of newspaper headlines <laughs> that you would see back in the day. And full lingering shots where you have to read an entire like front page of a newspaper. Um, but what they try to do, their science experiment, is they try to implant... A, human normal human living brain inside the body of this ape man (laughs) to create like a superhuman and um i think this one is this one was even though it's only like 59 minutes long these are both the ones i'm talking about today are quite short short. i think beyond seeing bella lugosi and john carradine in something like this because they're like absolute magnets of the fucking silver screen like you can't yeah 
take your eyes off them. They're so fascinating to watch, even when they're like phoning it in like they are in something like this. <laughs> it just didn't quite do enough to capture my imagination the way that the you spoke so nicely about the vampire's ghost doing. Didn't quite get there for me, but... You know, you're getting two absolute icons. How can you not include them in a box set of the silver screen? On the other hand, however, on my other flip of the disc on this one, I did really quite enjoy this little movie called Valley of the Zombies. And this is an interesting movie because you have a preconceived notion of what zombies are. Yes. We've got a very much a 20th century and now 21st century idea of what zombies are, largely shaped by the work of none other than George Romero, oh a little goodness. boy from like Queens or some shit that had a dream <laughs> about a bunch of dead guys coming back and storming a few places. So it's Storming interesting to go so slowly, so slowly, <laughs> very slowly. Very We're talking a barnyard house. We're talking a freaking mall, all that kind of business. They're storming them quite slowly. <laughs> so you have like an idea of like what the zombie is. Yes. So this was a why I wanted to do this one because I've been watching a few zombie movies recently. I did watch, uh, I did a rewatch of Dawn of the Dead not too long ago. So zombies are on the brain. But hopefully, not literally, because that's one of their favorite things to eat, from what we understand about zombies <laughs> in this day and age. <laughs> so I wanted to, I was curious to see like what they were like back then. And it turns out in this movie, the zombie is not at all what we would now consider to be a zombie. Yes. This is a movie where like this mad undertaker is restored by a potion and comes back from the dead. And he has like this all-consuming need for a little thing called blood. Oh. Like he is, it's more of a vampire movie, I would yeah, say. Blend, and he's kind of blending those two really iconic things, like coming back from the dead, a, po- a rare potion coming back. That's like that's all zombie stuff, but not not that he's like some weird undead grotesque thing uh, feasting on flesh. Is strange. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Like he's like you know he's. Uh, played by this actor called Ian Keith, who I'd only seen recently in a movie called Nightmare Alley, another great noir film Mm. um, that was recently released by Criterion Collection. And it's like noir meets magician type thing. Yes. And he kind of has like a Mandrake the Magician vibe about him, the way that he dresses, wearing a cape and a little top top hat. And he's quite like this mysterious figure in this movie of this man who's come back from the dead and very sinister, very sinister and control, has a lot of power. And I found him absolutely fascinating to watch. Like I just really was drawn to his characterization. And a little fun fact about this movie, this is a movie directed by a director called Philip Ford, who's got a very famous uncle whose name is John Ford, one of the most famous filmmakers in the history of cinema. And he's made a few, a lot of B pictures like this kind of thing across all genres and stuff. But this might be his most well-known one. And this one also runs at around 59 minutes. And it's there's just something a little bit about it. And I was looking at some other people's reviews on Letterboxd and, you know, not many people enjoyed it. But I got to tell you, this Ian Keith guy, I'm a fan, man. I might be his biggest fan of the 21st century. Oh, my God. I'm so diving in. I love that. And especially if we're, if we're talking about magnetic presences and that being like a big tick 
as what makes some of these old silver screen gems like and silver scream gems um, worth revisiting. I love that. I'm so I'm so excited to check it out. But I have to tell you, this is a perfect segue because we've gone from the Valley of the Zombies, which you say has like a weird conception of what zombie things are. Mm. Now, if I was to say to you that a film in 1957 was called She Devil. What is that immediate picture that you're getting in your mind, Alexi Toliopoulos? What are you thinking? Um, well, there's a Roseanne Barr movie that is called <laughs> something like She Devil or something like that. Besides and Roseanne. That is the, <laughs> that's exactly what pops up in my head. Hi, this is Robin Leach and I'm here at the luxurious home of the super glamorous romance writer Mary Fisher. She's the woman who has everything. Beauty. Fame. My books reflect my own experience of lovemaking as sacred and beautiful. And plenty of hired help. I bet she makes you earn every penny, huh? But could it be that something is missing from this romantic storybook world? Oh, the little families. Mummies and daddies and dear little children. How lucky they all are. To see how the other half lives, meet Ruth Patchett, a domestic demon. Your father loves mushroom soup. Queen of a suburban paradise. I'm in the bar. The woman is a walking disaster area. What could these two women possibly have in common? But then maybe something like um, uh, uh, Bedazzled with yes. Liz Hurley, yes. where we've kind of got like uh very femme fatale version of Satan. Of, um, of course. Tempting man with the, you know, all of that kind of like sexual illustriousness. Which is exactly what I would have thought. But if you check out this beautiful disc and the beautiful poster that is on the third disc, now our spy number number 56, it says, female monster. They created an inhuman being who destroyed everything she touched. How long before it will take effect? Six hours. Only six hours. And a beautiful girl on the precipice of death, brought back to normal health, suddenly, miraculously. Now, this 1957 film, um, it was originally played on a double bill with Kronos, funnily enough. It's based on a story called The Adaptive mm. Ultimate. Now, what it's about is this guy named Dr. Dan Scott, he develops a serum that starts to cure the ills of animals and he decides that he needs to maybe and potentially use that on uh, Mary Blanchard's Kyra Zealous, who's the main character of this mm. movie. Now, she's a, in the beginning of the movie, she's dying of some horrendous disease, which basically means if you're talking 1957, some really awful makeup that makes her look horrifically blotchy and a terrible mm -hmm. wig. And they give yeah. her this serum... And she bounces back and starts to have qualities of some of the animals that are in this serum. So, like, you find out, oh, wow. you find out the serum's like got some panther in it. She's got feline energy. It's got chameleonic tendencies. She can change her hair color. And so, what it sounds like, it sounds like maybe some cool thing like species or you know something like that. It's not cat people, cat people. or the wasp woman, something like that. No, it ends up being this weird kind of. I don't know, like anti-feminist allegory that all women when imbued wow. with some weird power are going to use it for like 
feminine achievement in this like 1957, very white, very American middle-class paradigm. So she starts to, she goes and robs a department store because she's poor and she's never been able to buy nice clothes. She uh, does away with uh, the wife of a really rich guy so she can become his woman and starts to then like seduce the doctors and, you know, get, get on them uh, to, to try and like allow her to stay alive and to still, you know, anyone who gets in her way, she basically does away with and so she ends up just murdering a few folk. So in its brief 77 minutes, it's kind of got some cool stuff, but at the same time, this is one of my lesser enjoyable ones out of this batch because I was Mm. like, apart from pure fascination, that, wow, look at this expression of fear when it comes to, like, this next wave of feminism happening and people, like, proposing that if women have any kind of power, supernatural or otherwise, they'll just use it to enhance their feminine wiles and... And, and climb up the social ladder. But it's also pretty limiting too, because I was like hoping for when you give a woman a superpowered serum and she goes crazy and you call it she-devil, that she's actually mm. going to do some pretty big stuff. But she doesn't in that uh, necessarily. But like I said, a fascinating, if you want a like 77-minute really great uh, uh, snapshot of this kind of weird, expressive, like fear of feminism in a kind of supernatural way, she-devil is a go-to. Like it is essential. Okay. Interesting, and this one's got a couple of special features on that on attached to She Devil as well. That I would wonder if they would give some sort of context to the film as well. So again, um, another t- uh, another thing called the Miraculous Serum from a series called The Tales of Tomorrow was also adapted by uh, adapted from the Adaptive Ultimate, and that. It was made in 1952. So that's on this disc, which is kind of a cool comparison. Um, And there was also a radio anthology episode. So you actually have got some comparisons of how the story was adapted, which is kind of cool. Um, So that's interesting. There's some good ones that are, that are on there too. But speaking of when you, I I believe you were talking about uh, in, in the return of the eight man about these sort of lesser quality things. And it's funny where they focus their attention on the final film we're talking about on this um, is, is again another 77-minute one called The Unknown Terror. Now you'll see the incredible motion picture record of the steel-nerved men who crawl down the dangerous corridors of the Cave of Death to find a terror greater than any ever seen on land or sea or sky. The unknown terror beneath the earth. <laughs> It's basically about a group of explorers who are searching for a missing man come across something called the Cave of the Dead. And it's filled oh. with this oozing parasitic fungi that um, it, basi- <gasps> it basically creates a race of monster men. Um, and Oh, my Lord. This is, this is one that I'm interested in. Now, what is so cool about this is they have spared no expense on this frothing cave in this movie and so so many things where things like breeze by and other things they want to breeze by poor production design man they take every ladder step every walking through this every element of this cave every bit of exploration beautiful integration of map paintings they just love the space in this cave it is it is is such a really well directed thing charles marquise warren um is the director um, again, has a stack of things on his resume, but I really like checking this out because with um, when when I was watching it, 
um, because he's, you know, he, he did a lot of television shows uh, like Gunsmoke. He did World War II, um, uh, war footage and things like that. Very, very inventive director because like the integration of mm. matte paintings and light and, wow. and, and, and this oozing cave and using this and these weird monsters in the Unknown Terror. Um, another kind of cool one um, that came through. And again, that whole, if you like this whole, like we go to an exotic location, there are local tribes, mm. people that are trying to turn you away. It's almost that inversion of like going back to that weird, creepy town where there's something odd in like the London hammer horrors in, wow. in the silver screen. We go to these provincial places that have like colonial settlements and there's something weird yeah. with the local tribes people. So look, I had a fun time with this one because I was just fascinated with the direction and the style because I was like, oh, they're clearly spent a lot of whatever money that was spent on this movie was spent on this oozing frothing cave to create monster people so um, that was that one. That were, they they were my big uh, big highlights of of that. Wow, I gotta watch this one. This one this one speaks to me. The unknown terror. <laughs> I gotta go into that one. Yeah, I think I think you're gonna have a really fun time with that one. Look, this has been another loaded imprint companion, the third of our July batch that we're covering. Um, Silver Screams Cinema, uh, this has been a treat. Like this is, again, for those real cinephiles out there, if you're talking about batch worthiness, this is a great one because everything looks, you know, is is done in blistering clarity. Mm. Um, they're only short. So if you're kind of checking out some things that like, I don't know, me and Alexi and I were recording this from Sydney. So we're both in lockdown. I really had fun like motoring through some very quick and brisk, well-told stories. I think it's an undervalued talent. And, and especially yes. at, at the turn of 1945, when things were still very much serialized and people were going to theaters for their news, you know, an hour running time is a common thing. And, and they just like told mm. it like a bit, an episode of prestige TV. And so it's just like, bang, done. It's actually quite a relief. Absolutely. There's something so charming about going back to like 1940s and 50s genre pictures, those B movies. It's an it's an inextricable quality about them where you're just like, oh, they're really going for something. They don't have much to go with, but they're really going for something with it. And I was absolutely charmed by this box set and I can't wait to keep delving further into it. We have so much more to look forward to on upcoming imprint companion podcast we have i mean a massive director's month that is coming up next month so we are super excited to share everything yeah. that i mean i'm i'm freaking out about that director's month not only because we're getting new releases of films that have been on other labels that are now out of print um that's coming mm -hmm. up in august but then we have the incredible um or that that was the august box set now it's looking more like september um that includes Double Jeopardy, As Good As It Gets, Drugstore Cowboy, Chinese Box, Days of Heaven, and Straight Story, Days. which is a... Oh, wow. Wow. And then, of course, what's even more thrilling and exciting is the incredible first time on Blu-ray for a bunch of things, the collaborations box set that is coming out from the cinema of Zhang Yimou and Gong Li, which is equally as insane um also coming out in mid-september alexi these are i'm freaking out about yeah. both of these it's kind of crazy because that next batch is huge with some huge directors in there like david lynch and terence malick then this next september release bundle has got like the ipcrest file trilogy of michael <laughs> Caine films yes. and then also like a carry on box set 
the first Australian movie in imprint, which is the Ned Kelly film starring Mick Jagger. Yes. It's kind of low. It's like we've got a loaded couple of months coming towards us with imprint plus Space 1999, the TV series as part of imprint TV. Yeah. It's it's overwhelming and we really are doing your service here by watching all of these <laughs> things before we talk to them and talk with you about them, everybody. Um, and uh, one thing we can guarantee also in the next batch is that we will have a special episode exclusively dedicated to Double Jeopardy featuring none other than the greatest fan of Double Jeopardy in the entire world and universe, the Australian Centre of the Moving Image curator, author, mm-hmm. and host of Josie and the podcasts, Maria Lewis will be here uh, because there is literally nobody in the world that I would rather have short of Ashley Judd and Bruce Beresford on the show <laughs> um, talking about it. So that will be great. Alexi, in the meantime, my friend, where can people find your gorgeous and dulcet tones? <laughs> You can hear my dulcet tones talking about films over at Total Reboot at the moment. We are doing a mini-series all about cuisine on screen, food movies or gore movies as I've been calling them recently. (laughs) And uh, the episode that's coming out this week, probably the same day as this, is me, Mitch Orr, who's a, one of the best chefs in the country. Mitch is fascinating like, to listen to on these in this miniseries, by the way. And also, you last week you did Tampopa before you give us a preview of that. And I have never had such ramen cravings. Mm. I'm just dying for some ramen. And I don't know if in my area ramen is available. And it's just, it's, it's killing me, Alexi. It's killing me. Oh, you've got to make your own then, dude. <laughs> We've got to put some recipes up there. But the one coming out today is uh, Mitch and I joined by my dearest friend and co-host of The Big Film Buffet, Jen Fricker, yes. to talk about Nora Ephron's Julie and Julia. Oh, my goodness. Which I am a huge Nora Ephron fan. One of my favorite filmmakers of all time since I was a young boy, which was one of the first filmmakers I ever knew about by name. And I love this movie so much. And we have the most fun talk about, you know, finally getting to talk about freaking Meryl Streep on Total Reboot. We found a way to do it. <laughs> you finally, <laughs> finally got there. And guys, you're going to listen to this. And then like within 24 hours or so, um, you're going to hear the 17th episode of Zodiac <gasps> Chronicle. An absolutely, an absolutely loaded one. We have arrived mm-hmm. at the point in Zodiac where we are talking about the direct conversation between the investigators of Zodiac and Dirty Harry. Holy shitballs, this is an exciting episode. A few of the guests that are going to be coming up are people like Clay Keller, people like oh, wow. people like Sean Burns, people like Danny Bowes, and of course, James Vanderbilt and the great the one and only John Carroll Lynch coming back for a little bit to talk about everything uh, of Zodiac on that. And so, lo- That's so cool. really looking forward to that. Everything's shaping up. And yeah, we're, we're uh, uh, Alex, Alexi and I are excited um, because the great Clay Keller is, of course, the host of Screen Drafts. And you know mm-hmm. what? My favorite film podcast that Blake and I are not part of. Um, <laughs> you might want to just keep listening. That's what I can say. <gasps> I think you might, you might, guys, you might just want to keep listening because there may be something that Alexi and I have some good news to share about with something like that very soon. Okay, okay. I'm not privy to this yet, so I'm, uh, uh, yeah. I'm going to Alex- keep myself on my own toes. Alexi's playing coy. Alexi's playing super coy <laughs> right now. Um, but guys, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you on another episode of Imprint Companion or a serious disagreement in our other physical media podcast very, very soon. Yeah.
Hi, this is Blake Howard, host and producer of One Heat Minute Productions podcast. We dive into the great and underappreciated cinematic works, often one minute or one scene at a time. Our crew of guests are some of the most wonderful filmmakers, writers, authors, and critics ever assembled. Our shows include One Heat Minute, Josie and the Podcats, All the President's Minutes, Increment Vice, and right now, Zodiac Chronicle. Check out oneheatminute.com or find us wherever you get your podcasts.